Today's scripture reading is from the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? Then he said, yes angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the course of the last few weeks, I've been going to see a physical therapist. Nothing serious. I just have had a little problem with my shoulder, and it'll be fine in a couple of weeks. But what I found to be true is exactly what many people have told me throughout the course of my life, that physical therapists are the devil. No, that's not true. Of course. But, but, but. They do invite us to do the hard work and sometimes the painful work that leads to our successful recovery. It's hard. And I'm telling you that today because I wanted to link it to something I see happening in the lives of Christians. The number one challenge I see for Christians when it comes to studying the Word of God, that Word that when vivified by the Holy Spirit inspires our lives, One of the challenges I see Christians experiencing when they study the Bible is that we want to move so quickly to interpretation and application that we don't take time to first just understand what the story is telling us. What do the words mean? And if we were to take a moment and do that hard work here in Jonah chapter 4, here's what we'd find we'd find that Jonah was angry at God. God, I knew you'd do this. I knew you would do it. Before I ever left home, I knew you were a God who was quick to mercy and abounding in love. I knew it. And God says, you're angry? And Jonah says, angry enough to die. And then Jonah storms out of the city of Nineveh, goes up on a hillside, and sits down to pout. God tries to teach him a lesson. So God sends a bush to protect Jonah from the heat. 
Then God sends a worm to fell the bush. And Jonah gets even angrier. And the story ends with God asking a question. Jonah, how is it possible that you're upset about this bush that was here yesterday and gone today, and yet you don't understand how I would want to save the Ninevites, the 120,000 people in this great city and their animals as well. And the book fades to black. Now, if we didn't do the hard work of trying to understand the story, we might miss something that's so important. We might miss that the ending of the book of Jonah is abrupt. It's abrupt. In fact, it's a unique ending for all the books in the Bible. This is the only book in all of Scripture that ends with God asking a question. What does this tell us? What does this tell us about the the meaning of the book of Jonah? Because I think this question, this abrupt ending, is the key to understanding the book of Jonah. And more than that, I think the main point of the book of Jonah is tremendously salient for this moment in our world. So what is it? What is Jonah really about? It's a great story, probably my favorite story in all the Old Testament. But what does it mean? Well, there's been a lot of debate about what the the story of Jonah means throughout history. Some people have said that the, the primary meaning of the story of Jonah is that God loves everyone. Israelite, Ninevite, everyone. And I certainly think that's part of the meaning of the story. However, if that's the meaning of the book of Jonah, then why doesn't Jonah end after chapter 3? After all, that's, that's the chapter we saw last week. That's the chapter where God forgives people. Why doesn't it end there? But instead, it continues into this final conversation with Jonah. And so... Other people have said, maybe the book of Jonah isn't ultimately about God's love for the Ninevites, but ultimately it's about God calling God's own people back to faithfulness. And those people repenting, maybe it's about Jonah finally understanding. But the problem with that is, Jonah never understands. If Jonah's understanding was the purpose of the book, then at the end of the book... It wouldn't have ended with God's question. It would have ended with Jonah saying, Yeah, God, you're right. I get it. But that doesn't happen. So then what does Jonah really mean? Well, church, I think this question in the last chapter, the ending of the book of Jonah, is the key to the whole text. And I think we have to understand something about the question that God asks. First, I think we have to understand that the question itself is not just for Jonah, but rather for us, for the readers. And so you could say that this question is a rhetorical question. And oftentimes when we think of rhetorical, we mean a question that doesn't have an answer or that we don't need to answer. But when I use rhetorical ending, I'm talking about that this book ends in such a way that it's Asking a question, sure, but we're not meant to answer the question. We're meant to think deeply about the question, and ultimately, the question itself is meant to make us take action. Let me give you an example from another book. If you remember a year and a half ago, we did a study of the Gospel of Mark. 
like the book of Jonah, the Gospel of Mark has what I would call a rhetorical ending. It's trying to evoke thought. It's trying to ultimately evoke action. The Gospel of Mark ends in Mark chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus has come back from the dead. And some of his followers go to the tomb preparing to to take care of his body, and they find the empty tomb, and there's an angel sitting in the tomb, and the angel says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And so the followers leave the tomb, and the last line of the book of Mark says this, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then the book ends. And you might say to yourself, well, that sounds like a terrible ending. And you wouldn't be alone. That's why 250 years later, other people came along and tried to add endings to the book of Mark. If you go look in your Bible right now, it'll show you those extra endings and tell you that they're not there in the original texts. People didn't get it. They didn't understand. So what was the end of Mark about? All throughout the Gospel of Mark, there's this major theme. It's the theme of silence. Jesus will do something amazing. He heals somebody or brings somebody back from the dead. And then he'll turn to those who are around him and he'll say, Shh, don't say anything. He'll tell his disciples and his followers that he is in fact the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then he'll say, Shh, don't say anything. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, people are told, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And then, finally, in that last chapter, finally, they're they're told, go and tell Christ is risen from the dead. And the characters in the story say nothing to anyone because they are afraid. What does that make us want to do? As the reader, this ending It makes me want to say, if they didn't go and tell the world that Christ is risen, I will. That kind of an ending evokes thought. It evokes action. And I would suggest to you that the book of Jonah is a rhetorical book as well. It has a rhetorical ending. It's designed to inspire us towards action. So if Jonah is asking the question of our lives, what is that question? My brothers and sisters, I think that question is simple. And yet, very difficult. The question the book of Jonah is asking is, will we be willing to lay down our prejudice and bias. To be the instrument of the God who wants to save the whole world. Will we lay down our prejudice and our bias to be instruments in the hands of the God who wants to save the whole world? What an incredibly important question for right now. They said, why? Because everyone out there has lost their mind. Everyone is everyone's enemy. And here is a book that is asking us 
to look beyond our human separation and be the instrument of God's love to the world. Jonah could never see it. Jonah's problem was that Jonah's judgment did not align with God's judgment. God was too full of mercy and grace for Jonah. Is that us, church? Is it? Would we be willing to lay down our own prejudice and bias in order to be the instrument of the God who wants to save the whole world? I want to share with you an illustration. Let's say that I'm somebody who happens to hold a a belief, a political belief, like that uh, illegal immigrants are the biggest problem facing our country today. And uh, maybe I've even been hurt personally by the loss of job to someone who was an illegal immigrant or or something bad happened with with someone who was illegal. Let's say that that's my perspective. And then, then God calls me to go and do ministry with illegal immigrants. Would you answer that call? Or let's flip the script. Let's say that on the other side, I'm someone who has a huge problem with immigration policy here in the United States and and think that that the the ways we enforce it are are all wrong and we shouldn't enforce it. And and then God calls me to go and and minister to someone who's, who's an immigration agent. Would you answer the call? And if you send me an email this week, then you say... Pastor Rob, let me explain to you the right stance on immigration. You will have missed the point of this illustration. Because the question that this illustration is asking us is, am I willing to set aside all of those ideas that I hold so deeply in favor of adopting the great, great mission of God? Jonah's main point is that God's love is bigger. (laughs) God's love is is bigger than the great sins of other people. God's love is bigger than my own reticence to faithfulness. God's love is bigger than the things we allow to divide us. Jonah's point is that God's love is so big, the only thing likely to slow down God's love is me. Pastor, are you saying that we can't hold our opinions on things? No. I'm saying the world out there lost its mind. Everyone's everyone's enemy, and that's not us. The haunting question of Jonah is, will I be someone who's willing to look beyond my own bias to be God's instrument? Or will I limit the way God uses me? What is your Nineveh? The place you don't want to go, but God is sending you there anyway. And maybe the better question is, who are your Ninevites? (laughs) The people that you perhaps think don't deserve God's grace, or at least they don't deserve it until they clean themselves up a little bit. 
Man, that's the power of grace, isn't it? I can't earn it. You can't earn it. We can't clean ourselves up enough to deserve it. And neither can the Ninevites in our lives. It's not about whether or not they deserve grace or we deserve grace. God declares that we are worthy of love. Who are your Ninevites? What's good for the goose is certainly good for the gander. I ask you who your Ninevites are. Let me tell you something about mine. Much of my life, but certainly in the course of my ministry career, the Ninevites in my life, sometimes I saw it on a national level and sometimes it was a little closer to home, but the Ninevites in my life were the Christians who regularly created drama and trauma rather than striving to bring healing and hope. Because I think about John chapter 17. And you've heard me talk about John chapter 17 before. But if you will indulge me just one more time. It's my favorite book. And John 17 is the last chapter before Jesus is arrested. And so the last words he says in John chapter 17, according to that gospel, are the last words he speaks as a free man. And what Jesus says, the last words he speaks as a free man, according to the gospel of John, well, they're a prayer. It's called the high priestly prayer. First, Jesus prays for himself that he'll have the courage and strength to endure the trials that are to come. And then he prays for the disciples who will come after him. But the last thing Jesus does is Jesus prays for all those who will believe after the disciples. He prays for us. Jesus Christ prays for us. And what is the content of that prayer? Jesus says, Father, I pray they may be one. Just as you and I are one. And so I struggle sometimes with people who sow discord into the body of Christ, under the mantle of Christ, and yet... God sent me to live 45 minutes outside the epicenter of global politics. (laughs) We think God doesn't still send us to Nineveh? We can be, we should be, a people with deep convictions on all manner of levels. But all of them must kneel before this one principle. Our God so loved the world that he gave his son. And that same God wishes to use us as instruments of hope and healing in this world. So I ask you one more time, an age-old question, a question from God to all of us. Will we be willing to lay down our prejudice, 
and our bias to be the instruments of the God who wants to save the whole world. Thank you so much for being part of this great study of Jonah. What a wonderful book. We give thanks to God for sharing it with all of us. I hope you'll join us next week as we launch into a new series based on the Armor of God text from Ephesians. My brothers and sisters, until then, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we acknowledge that in so many ways we're like Jonah. There are those times that we are just reluctant. We don't want to do what you call us to do. We also acknowledge the beauty of the book of Jonah, that you do indeed love the world, the whole world, Ninevite, Israelite, and everything in between. Father, we also, as we go deeper, we recognize that Sometimes the reason that we are resistant is because of the prejudice, the bias that we hold on all manner of things. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken within us today in a powerful way and that you would cause us to determine who truly will be our Lord. Will we allow all of those other important yet lesser details to govern our action or will everything else fall by the wayside when compared to the call you have placed on our lives. Put aside our prejudice, our bias, and to be the instrument in your hands, hands that wish to save the whole world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.